See, the big leap is really about two things. It's about how to get out from under your upper limit problem. And the second thing is how to get into your genius zone so that you're spending the hours of your day doing what you most love to do and what brings you the greatest satisfaction and greatest contribution to people around you. To me, that is life at its absolute best. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for all of you viewers and listeners. What's up, guys, and welcome back to another Mind and Heart opening episode on Just Tap In. I know we've been out for the last month or so. I want to let you guys know and give you a quick update that I recently have been starting a master's degree out here in Spain in digital marketing, and the move has got me transitioning, settling in, and I wanted to give this show a quick break because I know that sometimes in life we need to refuel, redefine our vision, and dial in on our priorities and what we want to get done in the world. So this show will never stop being a priority. Actually, for the last couple months, we've been recording like crazy. Like some days we've been doing two episodes a day. One week, I remember I read three books in, you know, five days. It was insane. It was incredible, but at the same time, a bit overwhelming. But just to tell you that we're going all in on this. We're going all in, and I want to let you guys know that. So stick around, and there's a huge list of extraordinary guests that are coming on the show very soon that I'm excited about. And today's guest is no exception. Gay Hendricks, he's one of the leading pioneers and OGs in the personal development field. He's been at this for 45 years. That's that's a mastery, guys. I wanted to, to reiterate, 45 years. He earned his PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford. He taught as a professor at the University of Colorado for 21 years. And he's written over 40 books, including the bestseller, which you may have heard, The Big Leap. And let me tell you, this is a book that I believe now, I had heard about it for so many years because it's one of those books that you hear about and they keep coming up. And I hadn't read it until the preparation for this interview with Gay Hendricks. And it's foundational. It changed my life. Understanding the concepts in this book is so incredible and foundational so i really recommend you guys get that book and we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode gay hendrix he's built an empire alongside his partner katie and they've been teaching people for years about conscious loving they've been inspiring people to enter their genius zone they've been helping people unblock all the things that have been limiting them to a life that is not on par with what they can truly achieve. Gay has offered seminars worldwide and appeared on over 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, and much others. So, as you can tell, you guys will be hearing from and learning from one of the leading experts in the world so i really encourage you guys to take out a notepad and take notes because this episode is packed with wisdom thank you all for being here if this episode resonates make sure to send it to someone 
This is how we keep growing. This is how we expand consciousness even further. The power of sharing something that you love, something that's going to give value to people. This is why we're here. And I know you will enjoy this conversation and get ready for an incredible conversation with the one and only Gay Hendrix. Gay Hendrix, welcome to the podcast. How are you, brother? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm great. It's such a blessing to be here with you, brother. Um, you know, I, I was sharing with you that there was like a very serendipitous moment that came um, for us to be here today. And that was, I was preparing for an interview with uh, Susie Batiste. She's the founder of Poopery, you know, the American multi-million, well. yeah. multi-million dollar household. And she, she uh, while I was preparing for her interview, um, your name kept coming up a lot, you know, like my mentor. And I, you know, I just felt this like pull, like she's learned so much from you and she's done incredible things. And I was like, I want to learn from him as well. And then I, I searched your name and, and I came across the big leap. I'm like, I know that book, you know, like I immediately came up to my mind. I know that book. Um, but then one thing happened, uh, Susie, we had to reschedule, um, some difficulties with the scheduling and, you know, for the first time in my life, I noticed, uh, upper limiting problem, or as you would say, like the oops, like the, oomp, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the upper limiting problem, which we'll get into in my head going just like spinning around telling me like ah oh, like damn i wish i would we would have done this today um i was also feeling a bit sick that day so you know we'll get into a little bit of how the upper limiting problems affect sicknesses um but one of the main things that i felt that i had a breakthrough in is that for most of my life i i've never liked to receive any help and i feel like that's been limiting me for for a lot of you know mm. uh the things i've wanted to create uh and expand in, in my life and a thought occurred to me, I'm like, what if I asked Susie to connect me with Gay Hendrix? Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't that be nice? Um, immediately the upper living problems started coming in, like, no, like, you know, afraid of outshining other podcasters, you know, like having such an incredible guest on the show, just like a, a bunch of thoughts kept coming in. And then I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you. And we're here right now. Uh, Gay, thank you so much for being here. I wanted to share with you that quick antidote and ask you, what is this upper limiting problem that, that, we've, that we've been talking about? And how does it come up in people's lives? Yes, well, the upper limit problem is our tendency to sabotage ourselves when things are going well. Um, sometimes it's called a fear of success. And I started looking at it, gosh, now almost 40 years ago, I started discovering I started watching, I first noticed it in myself that mm. I would feel good and then I would do something that made me feel bad, you know, like even the simplest things. Like I would, I was trying to change my diet at the time because I was eating a lot of junk food. I'd been a Stanford graduate student for a couple of years living on $300 a month, you know, <laughs> and so yeah. I was used to really uh, economizing and so then I, I got my degree and then I went to work at Stanford there where I'd been a graduate student and suddenly I was making plenty of money and everything. And so I should be feeling good all the time, but I would mm. feel good for a few days and then something would come up. I'd get into a hassle with my girlfriend or something would happen with my daughter. Um, 
or or I would just start worrying about things. And I realized first in myself, it was like I almost had an allergy to feeling good for very long. And then I noticed the same thing in relationships where I would get along well, and then something would happen after a few days, an argument would come up. Um, and then we'd take sometimes a week to get back together mm. again. And yeah. so I started noticing these things. And also, I was working with a lot of high tech executives at the time, who were back then just beginning Silicon Valley, you know, which is now taken over the world. But back mm -hmm. in those days, it was, you know, back in the 70s, there was just a few of those companies starting. And I kept working with these really brilliant people, high tech, high tech people. And I would notice that they'd have a big breakthrough at work. And then they'd go home and have a big argument that night with their partner. Mm -hmm. um, something would happen with their family. And so I started noticing this and I started calling it the upper limit problem because I realized it came from inside that it's not that life happens to us like that, is that we have limiting beliefs about how much love and positive energy and abundance we allow ourselves to receive. Mm. And when we've received as much as we can, the fear breaks go on and that's when we trip the upper limit switch, we start an argument, or we trip and fall, or we get the sniffles, or something happens which keeps us from feeling good and getting along well for more than sometimes even hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, Katie and I, have been married now 42 years. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Uh, yes, thank you. And so we started no noticing the same thing early in our relationship that things would go well for a few days, and then somebody would criticize somebody, and then we'd have an argument, or somebody would show up late, and we'd have an argument, you know, something little thing would trip it off. Mm. And we finally realized that it was just because we didn't feel like we deserved to feel good all the time. And there was some part of us that didn't feel like we deserved to feel love all the time. Yeah. And so that really set me off 40 years ago on a path of really finding out why we do that. And to, to understand that, I really had to look into the subject of fear, because it's really fear that causes us to put on the brakes. It's those old limiting beliefs like, I don't deserve love because I'm yeah. fundamentally unlovable, or I don't deserve I don't deserve the good things of life because of my skin color or because of my IQ. It's mm. some limiting belief that we have put on ourselves or somebody else has put on us at a certain time of our development. And I later found out that none of these are really true. None of these limiting beliefs have any validity to them. We just have to look at them in ourselves and find out which ones are limiting ourselves and then make a choice and a commitment to go beyond that upper limit. Yes. And I've heard you say that humani humanity is at a stage of evolution where we're learning to let ourselves enjoy more love, more abundance, other forms of this positive energy without sabotaging ourselves. And you mentioned it, like these limiting beliefs are not real. They're, they're coming from millions and millions and millions of years of evolution based on you know our, our nervous system, our autonomic nervous system, uh, that fear mechanism. And I wanted to ask you, 
why now? Why is humanity facing this stage of evolution now that we're allowing ourselves to enjoy more of these positive feelings? Well, I think a couple of things, Emilio. One is that for the first time in history, perhaps, we have the possibility of actually having longer periods of time of peace and freedom and good times. Mm. And obviously, take advantage of that as human beings. I think last time I looked, there was 35 wars going on, and I think 28 of them were about the subject of religion. And so, you know, we, we humans haven't learned to handle things like that very well. But we're in an evolutionary process where, you know, like a few hundred years ago, you could have the Hundred Year War, and that's in the history books. And so now, we have periods of peace and freedom and ease, and then something terrible will happen of some kind. And so, but we are beginning to see that now for the first time. And, you know, just like up until a hundred years ago, human beings didn't see that a lot of things were possible. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, I remember there was a scientific article way back in the 19th century after the locomotive was um, invented. Yeah. And this learned scientist says, it is not possible for the locomotive to go beyond 40 miles an hour because everybody knows the human body explodes at speeds beyond 40 miles Same an hour. Same with the four-minute mile. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. I remember that. I was old enough uh, to see that. Uh, they used to have... Before television, they used to have newsreels at the movies, little 15-minute catch-ups of the news. And one of them was of uh, the guy Roger Bannister breaking uh -huh. the four-minute mile when I was eight years old. Wow. Yeah. yeah suddenly now everybody can break it. Exactly. And it expands our belief of what's possible. Um, when you released your first book, uh, you were put on this list called The 250 Most Dangerous Thinkers of America. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of the ideas that we're seeing uh, in your book come now in humanity are much wider accepted. And it's a reason why your work has been so um, revolutionary and popular. I wanted to ask you, what was when you released that first book, what was it about people's perceptions that you were innately breaking through um, in their limiting beliefs? Well, the main thing with that book, that book, my very first book was a, a little book of relaxation activities for children that could be used by teachers to help get kids like relaxed mm -hmm. before taking a test or uh, help get them organized again after they've come back in from recess. And so this little book was called The Centering Book, and it was mm -hmm. published, bless their hearts, by Prentice Hall, my first publisher. I ended up doing, gosh, seven or eight books with them. But this one came out in 1975. And it came out at a time when people were really hungry and beginning to meditate and do yoga and things like that. And this was the first book that said we ought to be doing more things like that in school. And so wh what happened with this group that put me on the list of the most dangerous thinkers in America it was a group down in Texas, and they were what I think we would call nowadays extreme right wing or, yeah. uh, you know, very conservative and were opposed to 
teaching sex education. And, you know, they were opposed to just about everything. But uh, they put me on this list. But the funny thing was, there was people on the list that were just like Thomas Jefferson was on the list. Uh, you know? what? And, <laughs> yeah. And Thomas Dewey, the great uh, educational uh -huh. philosopher. And there were all these admirable people on the list. And so I was flattered. But here's the amazing thing that happened. <laughs> Another group saw that, I believe, up in Indiana and ended up burning one of my books and several other books that they didn't like. But guess what happened? It put it on the bestseller list, just the publicity. Of course. Of course. And so uh, I've made a fortune uh, from some group uh, <laughs> burning my book 50, uh, 50 years ago now, wow. um, almost 50 years ago. But uh, yeah, I recommend if any of you are writing books, see if you can get some right wing group to burn it for you. It's going <laughs> to help your book sales enormously. Yeah. But I think what they were what they were complaining about was, you know, I had uh, a little section of yoga postures that children could do to relax and wind down at the end of mm -hmm. uh, recess. And I had guided imagery exercises where I had kids close their eyes and imagine different things. That was one of the things the group didn't like about it. They said children shouldn't be closing their eyes during school because uh, the devil can enter them, you know, <laughs> and they My were coming God. up with all these crazy uh -huh. ideas like that. So. God bless religious fanatics. You know, we, uh -huh. we got to learn to love them. Yeah. And there's another thing that I was reading that you said has to be in the curriculum of every elementary school everywhere in the world. And that is the power of projection. So I wanted to go a little bit deeper about projection and how we are projecting um, our beliefs or our feelings onto the world around us. Yes. Well, projection refers to a phenomenon where you see in other people something that you're not seeing in yourself. And because you're not seeing it in yourself, you're projecting it onto other people. You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, oh, gosh, uh, like Rushdie, the famous author, got stabbed recently at an event, and the event was celebrating how America is a haven for people who are on the hit lists of these different uh, you know, fundamentalist groups around the world. Um, so every, you know, it seems like every generation, there's a reflaring up of those things. I think it's all based on fear. I was talking to somebody on the golf course who was in his 80s. And um, I, uh, hmm. he was saying um, that he he used to think that 80 82 was ancient and he, he realized that the reason is because the world has changed so much that he doesn't recognize anything about it anymore and yeah. he he was saying you know when the world is looking so different what do i have to contribute to it what do i have to to bring to it and i think there's so many people that are afraid of that and that's another reason i wrote the big leap emilio mm -hmm. because you see if we're not limiting ourselves, what's possible is being in our genius zone. If we see the big leap is really about two things. It's about how to get out from under your upper limit problem. And the second thing is how to get into your genius zone so that you're spending the hours of your day doing what you most love to do and what brings you the greatest satisfaction and greatest contribution to people around you.
To me, that is life at its absolute best. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for all of your viewers and listeners, because I've found it to be the most satisfying thing in life, to have a complete flow of positive energy in your relationships and in your life, and a complete flow of connection with your genius, where you're expressing that every day of your life. That, to me, is what feels best about being a human being. Yeah, and what what struck me the most when I when I read the the book, it was that you said that we're at this like pioneering stage um, of liberating the full genius of our whole species, not not even just like individuals, but our species as a whole is liberating its full genius. And you know, we've had people on the show talk about like these human potentials that we're tapping into, things like intuition, um, things like as you, for example, you're able to pull out ideas from the source field and you know, put them into a book where people can understand and, and take it in their hearts. Um, speaking about the genius zone, there's one thing that you said costs nothing, but requires everything uh, to make. What, what is that one thing? Commitment. You can't do anything without a sincere, heartfelt commitment. Sincere, heartfelt commitment is what gets you through times when it's hard, because if you've got any kind of big idea at all about how you want to be in your life, you're obviously going to hit barriers to it. Mm. You know, like I wanted to be a writer. And so I wrote a book and then it got banned and suddenly it becomes a bestseller. Now, I couldn't have predicted that in a million years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, that's simply because I had such a commitment to that book being helpful in the world that it just made its own way. It created a way for it to do that. And that's why you and I are such big, big believers in the power of intention, because it's our, not only our outer intentions, but our inner intentions mm. that make the difference. Because unless we are completely lined up head and heart around what we want to commit ourselves to, nothing goes anywhere. Yeah. And Life is difficult enough without a sense of mission and purpose. But if you don't have a sense of mission and purpose to guide you through to where you want to go, life is just kind of a process of responding to adversity and fixing this and handling this and just kind of going through uh, life like a uh, a ping pong ball. Yeah. And there's one secret um of highly successful people that I wanted to cover with you. And, you know, a lot of us might see people like Elon Musk or people like you that written amazing books, over 50 books, right? Um, yes. It's like, and then the question that we ask ourselves is, how in the world did they have enough time to do all that? Ah. And, and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into our beliefs around time and, and maybe deconstruct even the metaphysics of it. Um, because it's all in the mind. Absolutely. That was one of my biggest discoveries that changed my own life because I used to be in a tremendous hurry all the time. And I I didn't even realize how much of a hurry I was in. If I get caught in traffic, I'd be the one biting his fingernails and everything like that. And mm. um, so um, I had a big insight do you remember Einstein's famous quotation about the theory of relativity? He was, I believe he was explaining the theory of relativity uh, to some junior high school students. And he said, 
a minute with your beloved, a, an hour with your beloved goes by like a minute, but a minute sitting on a hot stove goes by like an hour. Mm. And that's the theory of relativity. And why is that? Well, I started looking into that and I realized it's a very practical thing because if you're with your beloved, yeah. All the cells of your body are expanding. You want to be in this moment. You want to feel what's going on. And as you expand, time disappears. The more people get expanded into space, so to speak, rather than contracting into the center of themselves, when you're with your beloved, all the cells are yearning for union. You want to be completely merged with that person. Yeah. And that's why time disappears. However, if you're sitting on the hot stove, you're having the exact opposite experience. All the cells in your body are contracting toward the center to get away from mm -hmm. what's going on on the outside to escape the pain. Yes. That's why if you are uh, suddenly scared about something, your belly tightens the muscles of your belly and also your your stomach stops digesting food mm. and the evolutionary reason for that is it sends blood out to the muscles to run or fight back or do whatever you're called upon to do mm. now that's our evolutionary heritage we've got all that built into ourselves we've got anger circuitry and sadness circuitry and fear circuitry and sexual circuitry all of these things come down through evolution handed to us and we have to learn how to use them and and sometimes not use them for example if you can't manage your anger at work you're going to have problems you're going to be <laughs> they're going to say hey john you got to go for some of this mandatory counseling or hey jane you need mm. to uh you know, go to a meditation course or something. But yeah. we have to learn how to manage different states of our consciousness. And as mm. you learn how to do that, you realize that fear is really the fundamental one that you really need to pay attention to because every time you're angry, you're also scared. And every time you're sad, you're also scared. And so to get to the fundamentals down in the middle of our bodies and our bellies, you have to get good at being with your fear. And one of the things I point out in The Big Leap is that fear is an emotion that you can't really discharge it by pounding on pillows or yelling at the top of your lungs or how you might deal with anger, you know, going out and hmm. beating a stick on the ground or something. It, um, yeah. Yeah. Fear won't work like that. The only way to deal with fear is to accept it and be with it and love it as it is and mm. appreciate the gift that it's giving you because it's giving you this tremendous gift of an opportunity to kind of slow down and take a look at what's really going on. And that fear can really be your best friend if you learn how to be with it because like we say here, Fear is excitement without the breath. Yes. If you forget to breathe, if you get scared <gasps> and, and forget to breathe, oh man, that gets scary very quickly. But if you, hmm. Hmm, if you remember to participate with it and feel it in your body, it turns into excitement. That's something that you can test out for yourself next time you experience a wave of anxiety. 
what's what am I excited about that I'm afraid to do? That's a really good thing to ask yourself. And essentially what I'm getting also from what you said a little bit of the time is that when we're living in our zone of genius, we're in an altered state of consciousness, essentially operating in a space of no no space, no time. Um, you know, we've covered this with other teachers like Dr. Joe Dispenza. He talks about the quantum field and entering that space where you're an expanded um, awareness. You know, you, I know you met Ram Das, and that's kind of what, what got you on your journey a little bit um, into the yoga and, and all that. Um, but what's interesting is we're in this altered state of consciousness. So people that are living in their genius are in a new state of consciousness, which is the one that humanity is developing and creating into right now. That is my strong conviction. And it changed my life because like when I first realized these things, I, I realized I was only spending about 10% of my own life in my genius zone. Mm. You know, like I might be spending an hour a day doing what I most love to do and what made my biggest contribution. And the other yeah. seven or eight hours I was doing stuff for other people, you know, wor working at the job I had and that kind of thing. And that really changed my life was just to begin to expand the amount of time every day, just a little bit at a time that I spend in my genius zone. Yeah. So actually, I remember the first time I've set a number, a goal, I think was 30% that I, I decided to spend three out of my nine working hours of the day in my genius zone as a mm -hmm. discipline. Yeah. And wow, that changed my life radically. And suddenly I realized, okay, I could even spend 50% of my time. It took me a couple of years to do that. But once I got the hang of it and started just choosing more things that fed my genius, it didn't take long at all. Actually, by the end of the century, last century, 1999, I was spending virtually 100% of my time in my genius zone and have continued to do so throughout the uh first 22 years of this century. Wow. wow. And what would you tell someone that that hears about the genius zone and might be in their zone of incompetence or competence or they might be in their zone of excitement which is, you know, there it's in, it's a safe zone. Um excellence. Excellence. Yeah. Excellence. And when I'm looking at the cover of the big leap and it was so metaphorical because um, it's basically two jars and there's a fish and like a smaller jar and there's a bigger jar that he's jumping into. But if you think about the fish, the fish has no idea that he's swimming in water. It's like us with oxygen. You know, you know, we, we understand right. what oxygen is, but we consciously on that level, it's like it, we can't even see it. So why would this fish jump from the next jar knowing that, you know, it's the same water or you know, what is that that leap that that fish is taking and how can we start making oh. those leaps? Wow, what a great question. You know, I do a hundred of these a year and nobody's ever asked me that question before. Um, so thanks for a good question. Well, what I think is that the fish, like us much more complicated fish 50 million years later, Mm -hmm. We all have this evolutionary growth edge that we have this urge inside to do something more and bigger and better than our lives have been before. And so I think that's what motivates the fish to jump. It wants to try something new that it's never tried before. Well, look, 50 million or so years ago, 
we parted company with whales. They went back to the ocean and mm. they tried walking on land, apparently, but it didn't work out for them. Some of us got good at walking around on the land or flopping around on the land or whatever got us started. Yeah. And, and yet the whales stayed down in the ocean. And maybe that's a good decision. Uh, mm -hmm. We made a good decision, I think, by getting up and walking around on on land and whales made a pretty good decision because they look like they're having a pretty good time. So nobody did it better than anybody else. We just did it a little differently than our fish friends did. Mm -hmm. And so um, whether you're in the water or in the air or wherever you are, I think if you're living in this universe, you're riding a growth wave because look, the universe 15 billion years ago at the time of the Big Bang was compressed inside a marble-sized entity. Mm. And then there was this massive explosion that we're still riding the wave of today, 15 billion years later. Why did it do that? Well, it had some urge to get bigger and better and more freedom than it had before. And you know, here we are 15 billion years later yeah. with all of these things in an evolutionary process going on around us. And sometimes it's easy to forget that we ourselves are in an evolutionary process, you know, because we look and think so differently than a lot of the other entities on our planet. But in a way, we are just the same in so many ways that we're alike much more than we are different. There's about 9 million species, as I understand it, on the on the planet now. And we happen to be the only one at present that can have a conversation like this and can have a video conference and such yeah. things. But I, I got to believe that out there in the other vast universe, there's lots of others. And the question probably is, do they have a team that can beat the Dodgers? Uh, you know, not whether <laughs> intelligent life in outer space exists, uh -huh. but do they have somebody that could win the World Series from us? Yeah. And, and this gets into some metaphysical territory because... You know, there's this deep sacred part within us that, as you said, it will wither and die if we don't follow um, and we don't make the leap toward our genius zone. And I was learning from another spiritual teacher, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, and, and he mentions in his books that, you know, there's this soul. Um, first, there exists a soul and it has a desire to expand. And I believe that if we're incarnated right now in these human vessels, in these human vehicles, then then our soul has probably evolved for many, many other lifetimes to be able to, you know, get that lottery ticket to be in this human body. So essentially we're like wired to expand. So, you know, what you explain in the different zones that people are in are also different levels of consciousness, like the way I've, I've seen it, which is, it's beautiful because I wanted to ask you, what is humanity's next big leap um, right now? Mm. I think it's the inevitable triumph of genius that we are being driven more and more to the full expression of our creative possibilities. And at the same time, there's a lot of forces that don't want human beings to be more creative. A lot of the forces of oppression on the planet want to make sure human beings don't evolve, that we just go through the paces and march around and go to our mm. factories every morning at seven o'clock and 
get out at five o'clock and go to the pub and drink beer and then go home and watch TV and go to sleep, that that's the way they would like us to be in the world because we're easier to manage when we're all uh, enslaved like that. But yeah. to me, I envision a humanity free to express our full potential, to express our genius, and that ultimately that's what will triumph. Because if you look at the universe itself, our galaxy that we're in, it's expanding every day. In other words, if you measure the difference between the stars, they get a little further apart all the time. And so the universe itself is like on a giant in-breath, expanding, expanding, expanding. That's why you don't have to do a lot to evolve these days. If you just have some intentions of wanting to have your life work better, and, and if yeah. you don't keep upper limiting yourself, you'll just naturally start to evolve in a much more genius-oriented direction. Hmm. And how can we apply this wisdom um, in our, probably one of the greatest spiritual uh, endeavors that we can do is have intimate relationships. And I know you, um, being with Katie for over 40 years, you've developed like a lot of skills and, and, and experience on cultivating that that genius zone, that sweet spot in your relationships? How can people um, start cultivating that with their intimate um, people in their lives? Yes. Well, Katie and I wrote our book, uh, which is our big relationship book, uh, Conscious Loving, uh, about 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago. And we, we were very much blessed from the beginning. It almost seemed like it had a golden glow about that book because uh, – we were like our publicist picked up the phone and called Oprah Winfrey show to try to get us on it. And the call didn't last but about 20 seconds because they said, oh, sure, have them here in three days. And so we went kind of overnight from working with 10 couples in our living room to working with 10 million people, you know, on the Big stage. Leap. Of Oprah. <laughs> Quantum leap. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sometimes people ask me, What's it like to, to be on Oprah or a big TV show like that? And I say, well, go down to the coffee shop and order 10 espressos and drink them one after the other. For the next <laughs> hour, you'll know what it feels like to be on Oprah. Alive. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. And so after that, we were kind of in a blur for the next 10 years going around the world. I think we put on more than 2 million frequent flyer miles over a 10-year period going around the world teaching relationship seminars and mm. thanks to conscious loving. But the secret boils down to just a few things. One of them, relationships thrive when both people tell the truth to each other and are willing to listen and hear the truth from each other. Mm. And that means if there's got to be room to say, I'm angry, or I'm sad, or I'm scared, or I don't know what we should do right now, to be able to communicate honestly with each other, that's key to a relationship. But that's not all. There's a second thing that is so crucial, and that is being able to take healthy responsibility rather than blame. And that has cause so many relationship problems. Yeah. Uh, one thing we say is all arguments between couples are a race to occupy the victim position because one person jumps into the victim position and says, 
you did X, Y, and Z. If you didn't do X, Y, and Z, I'd sure be a lot happier. But the other person doesn't see it that way. They jump into the victim position and say, wait a minute, you're not the victim here. I'm the victim. You're the one who's doing A, B, and C. And yeah. so once it's people like a battle, jump into the... It's like a battle between who is more victimized within the within Exactly. The mm -hmm. And what's the payoff for that? Oh, well, the payoff is both people get to feel like incredible victims. But who has ever solved a problem that way? You know, it, uh, you don't solve problems that way. Countries, two countries get to feeling like victims and start hurling bombs at each other or one starts and the other one has to respond. So the way we look at it is that you have to learn the mastery of uh, what here uh, in our trainings we call Hendrick's aerobics. Picture yourself with your hand with pointing the finger of blame at somebody and saying, ha, I figured out you're the reason my life isn't working. And then instead of that, bring that finger back to yourself lovingly and say, hmm, why did I create a life like that? Hmm, why would I be spending my time creating a life of conflict like this? And so once you begin to take healthy responsibility, then problems can be solved. But while both people are stuck in victim, they can't do it. And so that, you know, I've literally had couples walk in the door here for their first session. I'm thinking of one couple that came in from the Midwest to work with us for a couple of days. They'd been basically having the same argument for 29 years of their marriage because they dig wow. themselves into the victim position and then they do their argument. And it was on a, you know, almost once or twice a month. And it was such a joy to see them after almost 30 years of creating misery, suddenly taking responsibility. Oh, I see why I don't think I deserve love. You know, when you get underneath the upper limit problem, then you've got some possibility of actually healing things. But when both people are not taking responsibility, that just creates round and round and round and round and round. Hmm. I love that. Beautiful. Gay, okay, we wrap up every podcast with a segment called the final trio. It's kind of like these rapid fire questions that you can answer in a word or use as many words as you want to answer them. Um, but before moving on to that, I just wanted to ask you, where can people learn more about you, where they can dive deeper into your work, some upcoming projects that you have that you're excited about, anything you want to talk about? We're all over the place. You can find us on the web at hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. We also have a very thriving nonprofit foundation called the Foundation for Conscious Living that uh, has a lot of great uh, free resources on it. So uh, we're all over the place. We're on Instagram and Twitter Twitter, and all those kind of places too. So you can find us. I've got, um, wow, I've got a very exciting year because I've been, we didn't get to talk about this, but in my spare time, I write mystery novels. And a lot wow. of them have metaphysical messages in them. And so um, I've spent the summer tuning up five new mystery novels that'll be coming out over the next couple of years. And I also have spent the summer editing a memoir, Stories of My Life, that'll be out, uh, I think, later on this year. And wow. so it's it's really an exciting time for me. 
That's amazing, brother. Wow, you're you're inspiring me so much. Um, now for the final segment, final trio. The first one is obviously the deathbed question um, that you mentioned in your book, the the genius zone. Um, it might have changed for you in the last couple of years, um, but I wanted to ask you again: of all the magnificent things you've created in your life, what is the greatest sign that you've lived your genius? Oh, beautiful question. Thank you for asking. The greatest sign would be that if you came in our house today, you would feel an incredible, you would enter a very loving space where for the last 20 some years, no one has criticized anyone. No one has created an argument. Nobody has done anything but enjoy the flow of love and positive energy. Nobody said a crossword in our house, um, Katie and I. So um, you would notice that, first of all, and that's the greatest thing. To me, we're called upon in life to create lives of magnificence where you're feeling magnificent and you're creating magnificence with other people. You know that the flow of love and positive energy is there all the time, and the flow of love and positive energy you can feel internally in yourself, loving and valuing yourself and expressing your genius. That's mm. what brings about the flow of constant good feeling in human beings. And uh, so uh, that's, uh, to me, feeling that way all the time and having the kind of relationship is is worth all the uh, attention. Yeah. All and I the think work. I think it's our birthright as, you know, incarnated souls in this human experience to be able to feel as many positive feelings as possible and also find the gems um, within the negative feelings. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, the second one is, you know, a lot of young people might be listening to this and something that really st stood out to me is that you mentioned how we get so focused on arriving to the goal that we forget to savor and taste the journey along the way. Mm. And it's this feeling that I've, you know, caught glimpses of when I'm in my genius zone. And it's that wonder, awe feeling that we get when we're in this state of like, we're in the flow state. And you mentioned a quote, if you're not in a constant state of awe, you're not paying attention. What would be <laughs> yes. your advice to um, people to pay more attention and return to the state of awe and savor the journey in their life? Yes, well... I wanted to credit uh, one of my assistants, Alessandra, who brought in a uh, bumper sticker with that saying on it. If you're not experiencing all every moment, you're not paying attention. And so um, credit to where credit is due. But I think the meaning of that is so important for life because, I mean, think of it. Here we are, this amazing species, one of nine million species that can have a conversation and listen to music consciously and write a poem and talk to your beloved. Those kinds of things are so priceless and rare that we should celebrate those. We should just walk around in a state of celebration, just like uh, I can feel that celebration right this moment. And so unless we're allowing that to happen, we're not taking full advantage. It's just like we're listening to only one station on the radio, you know, or only one note on the violin, yeah. whereas this immense amount of magnificence is going on around us all the time. And I'm just a cheerleader for paying attention to that and celebrating that and letting that be the ground of our being. Yes. 
I love that. Your final question is a question that your friend Ed asked you about a one wish. You know, if you were if you were given one wish um, and you were in a room with literally the next generation of leaders, you know, the next presidents, the next CEOs of the world, the next spiritual leaders of the world, and you had one wish for all of them and it would be your final wish for them, um, what would that wish be? That they would feel the flow of their genius all the time and be able to experience more life, love, and creativity as a result of their embrace of that flow of positive energy. Thank you so much. I love that so much, Gay. Thank you. Um, this has been such a beautiful conversation. Um, I can't wait to keep following your journey and having people here follow your journey as well. Uh, you're a true inspiration to us youth leaders. Um, you know, anyone who is listening can learn so much from you. Uh, I really appreciate it. It filled my heart. Um, appreciate it so much. Thank you. Well, good. Blessings to you. Thank you for living in your genius zone. Thank you. And I think that's really what this life is all about, about learning to tap into our genius and what we were truly meant to do right here at this moment in humanity. Gay Hendricks said it all in this episode, so I'm really happy that if you made it up to here, I know that a transformation occurred within you. I really encourage you guys to truly look at that upper limiting problem that he talks about because that's the root of all self-sabotage. When we act as the container and our container is too small in the sense that when we start receiving a lot of positive emotions like love, gratitude, acceptance, joy, and that container can no longer fill it, the upper limiting problem comes in and we have to spill all that out. And essentially we lose out on life when we're not truly in the expansive state of what we can truly receive because this universe is abundant. And I wanted to remind you of that. And I hope that that's one takeaway at least from this episode. If there were any others, please feel free to reach out to me or Gay Hendricks on Instagram. Uh, you can find my email, it's pretty easy to find. And let's chat, let's talk. I love supporting each and every one of you on your journey, and I know that we're just getting started. So thank you for coming today, for showing up for you, and let's keep going. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.